great mind. I don't know. I'm fine with Trevor. But with Phoebe, she really keeps me on the outside. That's normal. She's an awkward, nerdy kid. Maybe a new home can be an opportunity to start fresh. I just wish she'd get into some trouble. There's still time. What are you doing here in Somerville, anyway? We're completely broke. And our grandfather left us this creepy old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Your father wasn't much of a homemaker. He could hardly keep the power on. You're saying he left us nothing? Well, I wouldn't say nothing. You went with the station wagon? It's the only one that had an engine. What is happening here? Somehow, a town with no fault lines is shaking on a daily basis. Maybe it's the apocalypse. Egon came out here for a reason. Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? You experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? Oh my god. You guys hear that? Something's coming. The whole city took The Walking Dead. Closed. Hey everybody, welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, he is Steve, and we ain't afraid of no ghosts in episode 250 today, November 21st, 2021. We're going to be getting right into our topic of the day, which is the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie review. So it goes without saying that this is going to be a huge spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen the film, we recommend maybe you hold off. Unless you don't care, then you can continue watching us. And before we get in to the ectoplasm goodness, make sure you throw out a trap at that subscribe button. Maybe slam down that firehouse notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm, which drops once a week, every week. Steve, my goodness, I'm very excited to be able to talk to you about this. I uh, I tried putting on my, my suit to help out the boys. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had to deal with the, you know, class five phantom. Mm. Real nasty one too, right out the, outside the <laughs> studio there. So uh, you have to forgive me. I have to, you know, kind of take these gloves off real quick. <laughs> He's looking at me, Ray. <laughs> I think he can hear you, Ray. <laughs> Real nasty one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I had texted you the other day because I thought I had a copy of the first movie. 
I could swear I saw. Yeah, I remember you uh, you you texted me about that, and I was like, I wonder why he's texting. Mean, um, I could have swore I had a copy of my own. I I, I was looking in my small collection of DVDs and Blu-rays and forks. And I know that the cover of the movie is in green. Right. And nothing I have is in green. I'm like, man, I could, I'm telling you, I have seen it there in spirit, apparently, uh, for years. I'm like, where is it? I wanted, you know, I wanted to watch it again, of course. Sure. And I wanted to show my wife again. And uh, she says I, I had shown it to her way back when, but then we ended up seeing or watching scenes of it on YouTube. And she goes, I don't remember this at all. I'm like, ah, gosh. So, so she has no idea uh, of, I don't think I either the first or second Ghostbuster movies. Either it's been too long or I, maybe I, she just doesn't remember. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I never even showed her. I thought I did, but maybe I didn't. But anyhow, mm-hmm. I don't have a copy. Well, I do Steve. That's great. I have, I think the, the most recent version I have is the Blu-ray. Uh, copy of, of Ghostbusters. I don't know if I have the 4K or not. However, hey, Blu-ray still works. So that's right. You know, if you want to come over and bring the wife, I uh, actually I know that my wife wants to to watch the originals too after seeing this one. So call well, it a double date. I think you should come over to my house to watch mm. unless unless you get a babysitter but because yeah. little, the first one's a little scary. You can't. You know, it's uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's get into our high-level thoughts of this. So, like, just overall, what did you think of the film? Well, um, I'm split between oh. it. I, I, there were there are parts of it that I really loved, and but I will say also that the movie as a whole, um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't give me everything that I was hoping for or looking for. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to give you all of my list quite yet, but there were things uh, in the movie where, I mean, where my wife and I are watching it in a the theater and I'm, I'm grabbing her leg and I'm shaking. I'm like, oh man, you know, and I had to be really conscious of, of how much I was yelling in the theater because I, of course, didn't know the dude next to me. Yeah. He was like with his wife and kids. I'm like, you know, Probably call the cops on me or something. <laughs> so I'm like, so who is this man child? Yeah, there were t- <laughs> there were times where I was really trying to restrain myself because there were parts of it that there were just sure. awesome. Like, thank you, you know. And then, but by by the time I left, though, I thought, okay, well, I didn't see this, I didn't see that, they didn't give me this, they didn't give me that, and I thought, well, good grief. And I ended up thinking that, um, I mean, I, I. I Growing up, I loved the cartoon of mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters, and I watched the cartoon continuously, even even after Ghostbusters was out. I was born in 1981. The movie came out in 1984. I was way too young to see that. I remember some of my friends in like first grade or kindergarten were like, did you see the Ghostbusters? I'm like, no, I'm kind of scared of it. You know, <laughs> I, I, there's no way I'm going to go see that. It was frightening to, to me as a kindergarten sure, or first sure. grade. So it wasn't until later... I mean, I was probably like, I don't know, nine, maybe eight or something um, that I saw it and have seen it many times since. And so um, I, when, I, when I was watching this in the, in the theater with you know everything that we all get into, I left with kind of a feeling that if I were to continuously watch the cartoon as 
uh, you know, how old, how old I am now, this movie seems to be closer in that realm than it does with the adult version of being scarier, more mysterious, you know, kind of gets you on the edge of your seat. Sure. Um, you know, the, the, the joke, the jokes are, you know, more mature, that sort of thing. And yep. so it seems like I, anyway, not that I did not like the movie because I did like the movie and I've been looking forward to this movie for a very, very long time. I can't even tell you yeah, how many, how many times I've watched the trailer and shown other people the trailer of the movie. I was, I was so excited, but, um, it, it did leave, let me down, but, but not enough so that it, like, I'm never going to see it again. It leaves me optimistic of what they're going to do later. If that's going to be the case. Sure. That's where I'll leave it right now. Sounds that's good to me. Um, for me, I thought the film was great. Uh, I have a lot of, um, a lot of different things to, to talk about with this. I do share your sentiment to a certain extent in the sense that this movie was a bit different in terms of what we were used to with the, the previous Ghostbuster movies versus what this is. And I can say uh, with certainty that, that this film has a whole lot of heart. And then oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, like it was amazing to me and we'll get into the, this in just a minute, but I mean, it was amazing to, to just see how much of the nostalgia they were able to tap into. I can't tell you how many times I would get chills sitting there in the theater, whether it was the sound of the proton pack getting charged on again, or even like the, the, the very methodical nod toward the original soundtrack of Ghostbusters where like, I mean, the, the exact same kind of, instruments and arrangement was used, but then they, they generated new content in terms of the music. That was fantastic. Being able to see like, you know, certain, certain actors, which I mean, is, is at this point, not really a a spoiler, even though we are, (laughs) this is spoiler territory, (laughs) but like, for instance, like seeing Janine Melnitz on screen, I don't care what her age is. Like she is always Janine Melnitz from the Ghostbusters. She still has the Janine swagger in the film. It was just, I mean, even with her being a bit more, I guess like subdued, if you will, like she didn't have as much of the smaller role, the uh, yeah, kind of the quirky uh, eccentric sassiness that she used to have, but still like even, even the calm down version of her, I'm just like, man, that is such a sight to behold. That is so awesome. And that was with all of the various, uh, um, or like OG cast members that, that made appearances in the film. One of the biggest takeaways for me, and we, and we can start to dive into this is the success story around the casting of the kids, because to me, and I think I think you're kind of like this too. Casting children in movies, I think, is kind of tricky in the sense that, like, if you nail it, like, like for instance, if you hire someone for like Elliot in ET, and you got the actor who you got, that transforms the entire ET experience into something that every audience member buys into, and you you are absolutely believing everything that's happening. And the, the performance from that child is arresting. I mean, you sit in your chair and you're like, my, like, like you will never forget that kind of performance. But then you can also have other performances from other children, which are like, they can be wincingly bad, you know? And I feel like they did a really nice job in terms of 
once again, capturing the spirit or the heart of what the Ghostbusters is about within those kids to a large extent. I don't think that it was like 100%, and I'll, I'll explain why in a moment, but I do think in terms of like, the enthusiasm of the Ghostbusters, the the lovable personalities, I think that they absolutely nailed it. Like like the uh, McKenna who plays Phoebe, who, right. who's Egon's granddaughter, she carried that film. She did. Like that was the thing where like like I thought it was very unique in the sense that we were bonding with Egon's granddaughter, and that was like like. To me, I feel like that that was a calculated creative risk because Egon is the one who like, I mean, obviously everyone loves Egon as a Ghostbuster back in the day, but it was interesting to me how, you know, like, like Egon tends to be, you know, not as charismatic as say Peter Vankman or Ray Stance or Winston Zedmore, you know, like you you have to wonder, okay, how is this going to pan out? And she's an awkward kid, of course, you know, just like her grandfather was. But I think in terms of how she was able to go through this film, I, I, I can speak for both my wife and I. I mean, we were with her every step of the way. Like, like by the time we got to the end of the film, which I don't want to talk about yet at this point in time, but my goodness, it, it was fantastic. And then podcast, which is fantastic. I mean, like, obviously, like, I'm sure you thought the same thing when, when, uh, when he introduced himself, like, about thinking about our podcast. Right, right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, Logan Kim, who's the uh, uh, the actor who plays podcast, the kid is totally lovable. Like, <laughs> like you can't help but just you're just like, my gosh, this kid is great, and and could totally be like a next generation Ghostbuster if he wanted to, you know. And I and I think that that is also worth mentioning is that this isn't like a participation trophy kind of approach when it comes to like who can be a ghostbuster and who can't be a ghostbuster because there is a very clear and present formula that exists in terms of the characters that can pull that off. And I do applaud uh, the, the casting director, whoever that was who casted these kids because I really do feel like like they embodied the, the the correct ingredients to become the Ghostbusters, which is tough because when you think of like like the Ghostbusters as like Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, you know Ernie Hudson, Harold Ramis, there first and foremost it's a comedy film, right? With little jump out scare moments, like they like they do this perfect balancing of having really witty dialogue, really clever. Uh, moments that that make you laugh and really poke fun at like the bureaucracy of things sure. or the political system. Sure, you know it, it's it's the hero's journey of the common man, right? Where like like they came from nothing, they were down on their luck, and they were able to like um, band together and be called upon to save the day when these people are just like you know we're, we're just trying to get by. Yeah, well, they sold everything. Exactly. I mean, they they put their entire livelihoods on the line because they knew that this you know they. They had the smarts. They were all professors. They're all scientists. Right. And and they were basically the only ones to do this job or, or like you t- thought they could do it anyway. Sure. But they're not, you know, Hercules. They're not Thor. Uh, they're just like, like you said, they're the common man. Right. And they had the brains to develop all this equipment that, of course, can wrangle a spirit, a monster, you know, in, in, a, in a spirit form and trap it in, in, in a wall. Right. So and it puts all that... Um, 
supernatural, like we can't do anything to touch them or or whatever, puts that into perspective now because now we can trap them. Now we can, you know, whatever. So, um, but like, you remember the first one where they, they, I think it was Ray who put like the mortgage on his house or something yeah. or a refund or maybe sold it or something. <laughs> he, I, my parents left me that house. Yeah. It's exactly. like you didn't even barter or, or bargain <laughs> yeah, with the guy or whatever. Right. You know? And, or the scene where they're all upstairs and he was, and uh, Vankman says, you know, I need to borrow some of the petty cash to take uh, out Dana, yeah, Dana. Barrett. She's our one customer. You don't want her getting away. And, and Ray chewing the uh, Chinese food out of the cart. He has mm-hmm. the chopsticks. This, um, Fine feast represents the last <laughs> of the petty cash. <laughs> chew yeah. your food. Yeah, chew, chew your food. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. Well, yeah, and, and I think when you when you analyze the persona of the Ghostbusters, you know, you have Peter Vankman, he, who represents basically like the ego of the of the Ghostbusters. You have Ray Stantz, who represents who is basically the heart of the Ghostbusters. You have Egon Spangler, who's the the brains of the Ghostbusters. And then you have Winston Zedmore, who's the work ethic. I think you said forgot to say Vankman. Peter Vankman. I think you said Egon twice. Did I really? Yeah. Well, I will be glad <laughs> to start over. Peter Vankman was the, the ego. ego. There you go. Ray Stance was the heart of the Ghostbusters. Egon Spangler was the brains of the Ghostbusters. And Winston Zedmore was the work ethic. Which, I mean, it, it totally makes sense when you watch this film and you get to find out like, okay, well, well, what has happened to everybody since the last time we saw them in Ghostbusters 2? And you see like Winston Zedmore, for instance, doing extremely well for himself, like taking what he learned from the Ghostbusters and applying his work, I think, into doing finance and stocks and everything. And he's like, apparently it looks like a multimillionaire. By the way, speaking of his looks, he looks like a million bucks he, in this movie. He does. God, Lee, I looked at his birthday on IMDb. It said December 17th, 1945. 1945? I'm like, that has to be incorrect. I, I mean, he looked amazing. He, he seriously has not aged. I like know. If, if you watch the original Ghostbusters and you look at him now, like just a teeny tiny bit, but I mean, the man does not age. And you would think that, okay, you know, he maybe had plastic surgery, but at some time, like, you know, you I don't kinda, think he did. I don't think he did. I mean, you can, you can look at some celebrities and like, like Tom Cruise, for example, Tom has had some, he's some, only had a little Botox, he's a little bit, of, but I mean, and he still looks great too. I'm yeah. not saying he doesn't look bad. But like you can tell he had had some work, right? I can't tell <laughs> Ernie had any work done. The guy look I mean, I hope I look that good when I'm his age. Yeah. He looks um, amazing. Anyway, I don't want to like sidetrack too often, but I no, mean I'm looking fine. at him on the screen like good grief. Yeah. So the reason why I brought up like the different um, kind of personas of the of the original Ghostbusters is that I found myself being curious as to, okay, how are these children as they grow older, like if they were to go and, and develop a trilogy around these kids that come into their own and, and take on the mantle of the Ghostbusters, you know, what exactly do, do they represent? And I could see the inklings, obviously, with Phoebe, you know, who's who's Egon's granddaughter. She could totally be the brains once more, you know, carrying the torch from her grandfather podcast could totally be Ray stance. And I love how, like, even like at the end of the film, when, uh, Ray talks about his actual podcast show and <laughs> podcast looks at him and goes, you're my subscriber, my one subscriber. That's yeah. awesome. You know, like, like the whole thing right. was, was fantastic. And I do think it got to be, you know, those two definitely were like, like at the forefront. I think the other two kids, 
um, we're still trying to like find a bit of their identity a bit, you know, which is okay. You know, because again, this, this was almost like a, a transition of, uh, of, of a story going from the, the original Ghostbusters to the others. And really, I think we should pivot to that for a bit just because, and I think that you have some thoughts on this. So the fans of the Ghostbusters have remained faithful for decades when it comes to the original Ghostbusters. And everybody really wanted to see a third Ghostbusters film that was absolutely predominantly focused on Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, and Ernie Hudson. And we have all read different stories about how there have been um, you know, different kinds of, of um, red tape or things that stalled out or whatever, whatever the reason was, whatever kind of creative differences or what have you, they were never able to actually get through it. And, and probably the closest that we ever got to like a Ghostbusters part three was the Xbox 360 game. And I think it was also for PS3, but it was Ghostbusters, the video game that came out, I think in 2010. And I don't know, did you ever play that game? I did not. Okay, I, I bought the game, I played it, and it was it was a good game. I mean, it was a love letter to the world of Ghostbusters and its its IP. Um, and, and the story was great. Really, like, the one thing about it was I remember Bill Murray's uh, voice acting was the weakest of the bunch for some reason. Like, like he just sounded kind of tired all the time. But <laughs> Bill, that's how, kind of how he sounds, though. Yeah. I'm, well, a tired... If you heard Bill Murray speak on the regular, he'd be like, well, he sounds kind of tired. Sure. But a tired Bill Murray, I don't know, that'd be pretty darn tired. <laughs> and it made me wonder about that too, about like, well, maybe he's just talking like he always talks, but maybe it's a different kind of experience when all you can experience is his voice as opposed right. to see, because a lot of his comedy is facial, right? Like yeah. it, he has that timing down perfectly right. in conjunction with the way his voice sounds. Right. Having said that, though, the game is fun. Like, it is it is a fun, good game. It showcases the Ghostbusters still doing their thing, that they're, they're busy as ever within New York, and you are a new recruit. You are the latest Ghostbuster to sure. join the fours, which becomes five, and so they kind of show you the ropes and see what happens. The whole game is a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think that, honestly, that's probably the closest that, that we will ever get to being able to have a third installment in, like, the original Ghostbusters trilogy. And I, you know, I, I, if I'm being completely honest, I'm, I'm a little bummed that we, that, you know, we, we will never be able to have like an official third Ghostbusters film that has the OG crew working together. Just that, that is it. There's, there, there are no other players. It's literally them doing their thing and, and having the, the chemistry and charisma and everything else. Does, is that part of what your, your thought process is? It is. Um, so Granted that everybody, you know, gets older and, you know, they want to retire. They want to, you know, spend money and time with family and just kind of live out their years. And so we can't always expect everybody to be timeless. But um, but I also <laughs> missed the fact that uh, we we rarely even got to see any of the old cast. Uh, and also, too, the, another perspective I have is even though these, these kids were fine, Phoebe being fantastic. I, I don't see them as being replacements for the Ghostbusters. Uh, right. I mean, these guys, like I said, you know, a few, few minutes ago, these were scientists, these were grown men, these were, you know, and you can't just be anybody and pick up a proton pack and go, Hey, let's just go rope ourselves some ghosts. Let's do it. No, anybody can do this job. I don't think anybody can. And 
also too, I mean, I, I don't have a very big problem with what the kids doing it, but as a kid, I always looked up to adults. Sure. You know, I, cause I wanted to aspire to that someday. Yeah. I wanted to be the ghostbuster. I wanted to be the Jedi. I wanted to be, you know, um, what have you? My imagination ran wild. When I grow up, I want to be, you know, whoever my hero was. Sure. And so as an adult looking down on this, I'm, I'm thinking I have a hard time wrapping around my, my, my mind around be, having the kids be the Ghostbusters. Like, oh, you know, I, that 15 year old or yeah. that 11 year old really, you know, got that, uh, Godzilla, you know, state puff marshmallow, man. He really did a great, I just don't see that happening. Right. Um, and I think a part of that comes to, um, also uh, for me, there was a, a big, uh, void of mystery and fear mm-hmm. in the movie where, like I said in the beginning, the, the first Ghostbusters and the second one had some mis- a lot of mystery to it. Sure. And it was scary. Yeah. yeah. And so, and and people, it wasn't just us as the audience who were scared. It was the cast who was scared too. Right. I mean, they were like pumped full of adrenaline, like we're going to do this and yeah, it's scary, but I mean, you know, let, let, let's, let's jump in. And this one, it didn't seem like the fear was there at all. Um, and, and we had a little bit with Phoebe, but I mean, she really repressed a lot of her emotion and she her internalized. Yeah. Or, you know, so granted, but like with the kids and the adults, like, uh, the, the 15 year old was like, yeah, our mom's possessed. They're like, she ran to watch. Is she over there? So what are we going to do about that? Yeah. You know, let's just talk about it versus like, oh my gosh, you yeah. know, my mom, they just possessed my mom. Or when he's on that, uh, the top of the hill and, and with the mine. Yes. I mean, if I'm looking down and I'm seeing some demonic thing look up at me and then some stuff blah, you know, yeah. burst out, I'm going to think, man, someone call the freaking Ghostbusters here. Yeah. Like, you just see that we got to get out of here. And they're like, oh, <laughs> let's just laugh about it. And I thought, man, I, there, the element of fear would exist and I think should exist. We're, if we would have, any of us saw that, we would have been pissing in our pants. Well, no, and, and you bring up a good point. And I agree with that too. I found myself thinking about how like, you know, when you watched like the original Ghostbusters movie, you could see how afraid they were. Like, right. for instance, if you think about the the library, the library, right? Like, so that, that was at the very beginning of the movie. And I talked to my wife about this as we were driving home last night. I was saying how you know that particular scene was. It was basically kind of like the introductory pitch of what Ghostbusters was. It got everybody on board within the first five minutes of the film. And that was before they were even Ghostbusters at that point. They were just scientists and, you know, they were interested in the paranormal and that sort of thing. And seeing that, I mean, I I remember uh, being a kid and um, (laughs) this is is actually a really fun story. So our parents didn't let us go uh, see it in the theater. And when it was available, like on VHS or whatever, they wouldn't let us watch it either because they thought it was too scary or what have you. So what we did being the uh, resourceful young kids that we were is we went down to our neighbor's house and there was a, a, <laughs> a friend of ours <laughs> whose older brother uh, he, he was, you guys want to watch it? He, he yeah. was like 10 years older than we were. I mean, he, he, I think he was probably about 13 or oh, something like man. that. And at that, that point in time, I think we were probably, uh, you were probably five. I was seven, man, was probably five, <laughs> six. Yeah, that was young. It was so young. And so we, we made an agreement with this, this, uh, older brother, this friend of, of the older brother 
where, um, cause he, he knew, cause, cause we explained that like our parents didn't want us watching this movie. And so, you know, he didn't want to get in trouble either. And so he sat us down before he watched it. Cause he wanted to be kind of like the cool kid on the block kind of thing. Right. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to let you watch this. But when I tell you to close your eyes, you have to close your eyes. And so we were like, do you, do you remember this, right? Like, uh, yeah, and I so do remember. Like, oh, okay. Okay. We will do that. And so he's like, and, but he, I think he actually said like, don't tell your parents. Yeah. He said, yeah. Don't, he didn't don't, want to get in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he wanted to be like, like, you know, like I said, like the cool kid on the blog, but he didn't want to get in trouble. And so he sat down and watched it with us. And I remember like the librarian scene, like it got right up to the point <laughs> Where, where Ray said, get her. And, and right before he said that he's, I mean, and he was, it was so funny because him being like the cool kid on the block kind of thing, you know, he, he, you know, was acting all laissez faire and chill and that sort of thing, having all the answers to life at 13 kind of thing. But what was funny was that he was so strict when it came to like time for us to cover our eyes. So like, I remember like every time, he, I mean, he would yell at us. He's like, cover your eyes now. <laughs> And so we did. We would just be like, <gasps> and uh, and I remember like taking a quick little peek at seeing the librarian, um, and that forever changed me as a kid. And I, I mean, I'm, I had to have been like seven or eight years that old. That was scary. I remember like actually. So I think when he was rewinding the VHS tape, uh huh. Um, I watched the librarian scene, and so I I think he was like, okay, it's got to be almost done, and then he he pushed play. And it was the librarian going, and I saw that. And I'm telling you, like I was looking in closets and like, you know, let's flip on a couple more lights in the sure. house sort of thing. And as I was, I mean, that was scary. It really was. Yeah. And there were other moments like that as well. I mean, even when, when Slimer was introduced and they were sure. going through it, like it was funny. Well, again, it's that, that secret sauce of it being really funny, but also like moments of terror and right. And I think to your point, what I'm getting at is the fact that you have these actors who help sell the fear, right? So like like when Slimer was charging Peter Venkman and Bill Murray's like, Aah! yeah, he's screaming. <laughs> and you don't even see the, the, the contact right. with Slimer at all. But then by the time, you know, it was, actually it cuts away and you see Ray, you know, feverishly running to where Peter's location is. So that builds up drama too. Like and what imagination. Yeah. Exactly. Your, your, your imagination runs wild. You're like, what happened? And then when he finally gets to Peter, you see him completely drenched in slime. <laughs> and he's like, what happened? And you see, he slimed like, me, Ray. He slimed me. He's like, it's in his mouth and everything else. And, and so, yes. That is probably one of, if I, if, when I go into kind of more of my constructive criticism of this film, I totally agree. I think that there really weren't the, like that level of, of scary moments. I think that that like, for instance, like with the mind shaft, when you had that thing appearing and then it came out, um, I think that that was an opportunity for it, you know, like if for the kids to sell it, right? right. Like, like what you're talking about. Cause that, I mean, I'm the same way if I saw that happen in person or like, for instance, you had that other ghost that liked to, that liked to chew on metal, you know, if I'm seeing that, if you're, if you're, yeah. Yeah, if you're witnessing that in a town or whatever, that is, I mean, your life has changed forever. Right. It doesn't have to be gozer. It, I mean, it could just be like, Oh my gosh, I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing a ghost. So yeah, I think that that could have been done a bit better better uh, and have different approaches to it. And I think too, there, there is a conscious creative decision 
in terms of this film to have it be more angled around the kids themselves doesn't mean that they can't be terrified out of their minds. In fact, I would have preferred if we had seen more of that. Um, same with like Paul Rudd as well. Where right. Like, you know, he was kind of a link to the past because right. he knew the Ghostbusters from the 80s and he was aware of what happened in Manhattan. And I think in terms of like for him to so- suddenly witness these things happening again, that was a fantastic opportunity for him to really sell the fact that 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 he knows what's coming because of what he had lived through before in the right. past. Now, that's not to say that they have to like turn it into a horror movie or anything like that. That's not it at all. But, you know, like it would be fantastic to like, you know, watch maybe have the kids, you know, deal with the, the leftover adrenaline rush, right? Like maybe, maybe they're kind of trembling a little bit or, you know, little subtle nuanced things that help to like really push that because then we buy into that as audience members that much more. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I understand. I will say though, Carrie Coon, who played the mom, played Phoebe's mom. Um, I think she did a pretty good job acting as as a possessed gatekeeper. The gatekeeper. That was the one scene in the entire film where, like, when she was in that chair and she was looking at her <laughs> like kids, breathing and stuff. I, yes, she was breathing just like Dana Barrett. She like, was because I remember watching that Ghostbusters one. I'm like, man, you're gonna hyper villain. Like she's sitting there going, <laughs> yeah, you know. And, uh, so yeah, in this movie, she really owned that part, but I, I thought that she, I, maybe it was just the way that, that she was written into the movie. I wanted her to care more about everything. And it seemed like she would, didn't care much about really anything. I mean, she wasn't like she didn't like her kids. She loved her kids, but like if my kid loves science and is a nerd, I'm going to love my kid for being a a nerd and loving science and see how far they're going to get. And she's, and that, even that line of like, don't be yourself. I mean, I thought that was like a chuckle at first. And I thought that sounds terrible. Like, I'm never going to tell my kid that, you know, it's like, she had no faith in her kids and, and she would be old enough too to really know what her grandfather did. Um, and to me, they wrote her as a character, um, wrong in that she would have known all this stuff that was, was happening and it's like, it's like, for example, let's say she looks back at grandfather being involved in Normandy or something. Mm-hmm. And then her go, I mean, granted, we're, you know, World War II, two different things. I'm just trying to like make a draw parallel here. And they go, well, we never saw him and he didn't care about his family because he was always gone and, and whatever. So that, that makes him totally unimportant and we don't care about him. You know, when, if she just did a little bit of digging if it meant that much to her, she would have found out that Egon was paying attention to her life and really wanted to be involved in the family, but knew that there was a greater good Mm -hmm. that only he could tackle himself. And so um, I think they could have written her differently. So I actually disagree about that. I think that um, for her, she was having to deal with a lot, but like being a single mom, uh, having a failed marriage, having two children to provide sure. for, uh, realizing that her grandfather left them no- with nothing. Like there was no money or property or anything to deal with. And not only that, but also too, it was reinforced by the notion that even the Ghostbusters who were left behind, like Ray Stance, for example, Ray was very hurt by how all of a sudden Egon just ditched them out of the blue 
and really had a hard time understanding like, you know, what, what is going on here? And I think in terms of, of Egon being, well, Egon, you know, <laughs> he, he was, he was married to his work. He was, and, and, and he stumbled upon something that all of a sudden he had this really strong hunch that turned out to be correct about when the, the, the next kind of doomsday is going to arrive. And so he, really took it upon himself to try and thwart that from happening. And probably he did it to a fault in the sense that, you know, as humans, sometimes we have the best of intentions, but due to a, um, a lack of communication or, or just who, you know, that, that was probably one of his shortcomings. Right. And that's not really any kind of surprise because when you think of someone like Egon, Egon is a very socially awkward person. True. And so with the mom, you know, I think the mom was having to, just kind of soldier on through life because of the fact that she really didn't have a, a meaningful relationship that normal grandkids or, or kids would get to have with their father. Um, and I think too, that also provided more purpose for her character in the film as well, because she got to go through this discovery process, which, which we haven't really talked about yet. Right. Um, regarding Egon's um, spirit who, who was still very present and was trying to communicate not only to her, but also to Phoebe through kind of like the stranger things. You, you watch stranger things. Yeah. I haven't watched the latest season, but yeah, I watched it first and second season. So you're, you're familiar with like how they, they did the whole like, Oh, I'm trying to communicate through the, the lights right. and stuff, you know, yeah. they took that idea, which I thought was smart and, and brought it into the ghostbusters. And I, for one felt that it was a very neat kind of journey for her character to go on where she realized it wasn't that he didn't care about her. In fact, he loved her very much. It was the fact that because he loved her so much right. that he went out on his own and when everyone thought he was nuts or, or shut off or detached, to try and, and, and save all of them. And the way that they did it, where they showed all the pictures of her where that he had collected and, and was searching for her online and was still trying to somehow be passively involved in her life. I thought was very touching. And again, it speaks to like how much heart this film has where she was able to come to terms with that. And not only that, but also with Phoebe, like, that chess playing scene, like the moment that that chess piece moved, I knew that was Egon. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, and actually, you know what? I'm going to, I want to be able to, to, to talk about something really quick. And this, this is one of the things that makes me really happy about this film. And oh, yeah? it, 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 it sounds really funny, but it, it helps to validate me as a creative. <laughs> when I was sitting down, like before I saw this movie, I just saw the trailer and kind of getting kind of a, a glimpse into what this film was about. I sat down and I thought to myself, if I was the one writing this film, how would I write it? Like, what would I want to do? And I'm not saying that, that what we saw in this film was like verbatim of what I thought, but I can tell you with certainty that when I was thinking about it, I thought the Ghostbusters is quintessentially about the four OG Ghostbusters. And it's been a tragic loss that Harold Ramis passed away. So right. how on earth can they make another Ghostbusters film without him? And I thought to myself, the way that I would do it is I would have Egon reappear in a ghost form. Right. I don't know how he would contribute 
being in ghost form. But if I was the director, I would absolutely have that happen where Egon would somehow reappear in ghost form and be able to still help the Ghostbusters. And it was fantastic to see that happen. And again, the 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 details of like how they did it in the film, I, I didn't think of any of that. But like just in terms of like the high level broad execution of it, you would have to bring him back. And I'm so gleeful about how they did it, where like the film, it wasn't even like a passing nod to Egon. He was quintessential in the plot of this film, where the very beginning of the movie, we see him you know, tr desperately trying to trap whatever kind of monstrosity that we can't see is coming at him. And he, you know, his, his very legacy and existence plays an, an, like an integral part of this entire film to the point where, at the very end where, where you have Gozer, and we'll talk more about Gozer in a minute, but this is, this is a memorable moment. This, this is the kind of moment where, again, like I got chills. I started to tear up. I started to cry and I'm saying this like, like hundred percent serious. Like you see, and again, Phoebe, like, like, like McKenna is just selling it as this, this kid. And all the, it's all of these things where she's discovering who, who, who her grandfather was and we you know what her purpose could be in life and what is going like just discovering all of these, these, um, supernatural existences and like really starting to hear her calling. And there's that moment where, you know, the, you need to have four ghostbusters to take down Gozer. And there's only three at the time. And all of a sudden that fourth stream comes in and you can see, and that's one of the moments that she's saying, where she's scared. You look at her face and she, she understands how dangerous Gozer is. And you suddenly see that ghost hand guiding her, um, her proton pack, you know, her wand. Her particle thrower. Her particle thrower. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of getting a little, little choked up as, as I'm talking about it, but like you, you see the camera, it's like in slow motion and then it pans back and you realize it's Egon right. standing right next to his granddaughter showing her how to do it in that visual passing of the torch. And I was like, done. Yeah. Not sold. That has yeah. heart. That was, that was like beautiful. Yeah. I was wondering that too. I thought, okay, you know, they, they can't, I mean, they can bring back him in a CG form with his voice somehow with technology nowadays, but I thought, I don't know if I would really want that. I mean, what would I really want? Um, and I, and I thought, okay, I think, I think they would, they would bring him back because they would have to, but I really don't know how they would do it. And it wasn't, chilled like towards the end or I mean we were getting little bits and pieces of him like adjusting the light you know when she had a question you know and I thought that was actually very cute very charming yeah very well done yeah um I mean it worked very well for Phoebe I don't know if it worked as well for the mom necessarily I wanted her to be freaked out honestly uh, -huh. uh Phoebe I can understand it. I wanted the mom to be freaked out but I thought that was very I mean how are you gonna do that if you're I'm not going to say I believe in ghosts, but I mean, let's say they were, and it's our grandfather and our grandfather is, you know, of course in our life in a spiritual yeah. sense. And then he has a way of like guiding us to, to overcome a hurdle in our life. Sure. Right. I mean, that would be incredible and it would be scary and it'd be terrifying, but I mean like, wow, I mean, that would make your heart pump. Um, 
And how would they do that? So anyway, and and to have all three Ghostbusters look at him and kind of give him uh, that nod of like, you know, we miss you. Yeah. Not only, uh, you know, Harold Ramis as the, I, I saw it as both ways. Like the actor's going, we knew you in and out, inside of work and outside of work and we miss you. Yeah. And of course in the movie, they were like, we miss you as a Ghostbuster. I saw it as, ah. Uh, so yes, I was getting a bit misty eyed with that too. Well, it, it, it offer, you know, it, it, uh, just to add on to what you just said, watching them having closure right with with not only Egon but honestly to a certain extent I believe that that was a kind of a movie making opportunity for the actors themselves to have a send off to right. Harold Ramis it was so sweet and I think that that there, there's there's a lot of meaning to that even with Jason Reitman who's the son right. of Ivan Reitman the the original director right he as a kid was he was running around the the sets of the original Ghostbusters. These actors knew Jason when he was a kid, so there there is this like like sense of extended family uh, with all of them, and I think that 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 it, that speaks very highly to um, like the kind of story they wanted to tell here, and yeah, like 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 I. You know, while it isn't necessarily like a Ghostbusters three where like it shows sure. like those Ghostbusters, <laughs> having it be uh, like another like a different chapter of the world of Ghostbusters is a very welcome one in my opinion. Like like they were able to harness once like like what I said like the enthusiasm of what it is to be like a ten year old and discover Ghostbusters. Like I feel like that that was one of the qualities that Jason was able to take was like he. He remembered what it was like to watch the original Ghostbusters on VHS as someone who was like maybe 10 years old or younger, whatever. And then, you know, be able to plug that into these child actors. Right. So they had it and you couldn't help but love them. Like, you're just like, man, these kids are so fun. Like they fit so well into the, this world. And I, I just, I don't, I don't know what they have planned um, in the future regarding it. But at the same time, I don't know. Like, like it, it's, it was a very fun, endearing tale. And, and I think that like, even when it comes to like, well, I mean, we didn't even get a chance to talk to goes, well, talk, talk to Gozer. <laughs> you, I, uh, I do not want to talk to Gozer. talking to our next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Sure. Um, do you think this one is a go between from Ghostbusters 2 to a potential Ghostbusters 3. As in like, do you think this one was a 2.5 in that we're playing catch up and all the time that's transpired so that we can pass the torch in Ghostbusters 3 to continue the series and legacy with new characters? So that's a great question. Um, my hope, like if I were to hope for something, I would hope for that. The challenge becomes the fact that Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson, they're just, they're getting old. Right. You know, and being a Ghostbuster is a very physical job. I mean, like, even in behind the scenes stuff, they talk about those proton packs, those are heavy. Um, and, and while there's not like a crazy amount, like if, if I were to really think about the day in, day out, like when you, when you look at like the scenes from the, the older films, they're not doing like a tremendous amount of physical stuff there, but they're doing s some of it at the same time though. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I really don't oh, care. Oh man. I, I agree with that. But I, and, but also too, 
yes, they had to work with what they had in the, in the you know 1980s, but now they can make anything. They can make styrofoam look like it's cast iron. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think weight's the issue. And Ghostbusters was never really the movie where they were doing some crazy stunts. You know, I mean, they were kind of like running like across the room, but not like some Mission Impossible Tom Cruise running across buildings and like jumping, you know, doing his own stunts kind of thing. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I could still see them pulling it off. Um, they would just really have to deliver their lines, I would say. Yeah. I mean, like Ian McKellen being Gandalf. I mean, the guy was really, really old and he was like saying, I'm going to be Gandalf. I just don't have an Emmy to fly halfway across the world to New Zealand to do this again. So if we could work this out in some state, you know, so where there's a will, there's definitely a way. And he wasn't whipping around swords and like staffs and, you know, hitting people yeah. and stuff. That was somebody else. But he, but, you know, honestly, you couldn't really tell because it was CG and it was kind of far away and whatever. So I, I think they could still pull it off. Russ. I do too. I, you know, the more I think about it and especially when it comes to how the fact that, the, that it is a comedy, right? Like I do think that they could very much continue on doing that. And especially like if they wanted to involve some of the kids as well. And like, once again, Hollywood is guilty of having too much of an instant gratification on right. something where they do it and they go, okay, we'll put a stamp yeah, on that. There you it's go. Done. Yeah, we've done it. Yeah. And let's Next. go on to the next thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That better be a let it freaking simmer. good stamp. <laughs> well, no, what I'm saying is is it's it's like music, right? Like like the the truly like gifted musical artists understand when to like be electric and totally thrill the audience, and they also know when to let it simmer and just just sit on it for a bit, right? You know. And I think that, that that this is something that they could do completely with this, or if they wanted to have them kind of carry on and be standalone Ghostbusters, who knows? But yeah, like, I mean, you will never, ever, ever hear me say that I don't want to see Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie right. Hudson suit up and be Ghostbusters. Like, they could be 90 years old, and I'd be like, uh, yes, please. I'm still buying it. Yeah. Yeah, I will, <laughs> I will buy that ticket. In fact, to give you an idea, like, my wife and I love this movie so much. She voluntarily said how she wants to go back and see the film a second time. That's usually my line. I don't, you know, like, like I don't usually hear her say that she wants to go and see a movie we just watched immediately again. She said that. I think that might have been a, a goal with this one also too, which is, um, you know, they're, they're given some nostalgia for people who, Love the the Ghostbusters for decades. Yeah, um, but they also want to branch off into new audiences too. And so, I don't know if there's enough there to bring someone in off the street who goes, "What's a Ghostbuster?" You know. <laughs> but I mean, if you know a little bit about something, you know, your your spouse, uh, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, you know. Um, I think this movie might have been, you know, maybe not so much given to the the hardcore fans as it was maybe. We're gonna give we're gonna give treats to those who have been following us the, for a long time, but we're also gonna leave the door open for folks to come in and, and join the sure. series. And I do think, I mean, honestly, when I think of like just the various actors out there who are very funny people, right. you can in fact put together different types of ghost busting units. And once again, as long as you tap into that comedic element you could in fact have kind of more of that passing of the torch if you wanted to in, in the, the future. But my advice is, is don't be so quick to just abandon what set the tone in the first place, because that is what the catching the lightning in the bottle 
is all about right. is, is, is you have these different original ideas that come up and no one knows if it's going to be a success or not. And it is not only is it a success when it first comes out, but it, it is also in a, a, a stalwart of a success. It, it continues through a multi-generational thing, which is kind of what we talked about with regards to Superman in a previous episode. But I, uh, you know, one of the things also that I, I wanted to pivot to is I was thinking about how you were talking about like, like different things that, that weren't as serious uh, in the film. One of the things that I do think is worth mentioning is how there's that one moment where we come to, we're kind of in the bowels of the mining shaft, right? And, and we, we discover, Oh wow. Like there's this, like this whole thing that, that, that kind of ties into the whole Gozer thing, everything else. And it's, it's the moment where we, we understand, we, we discover what is causing the earthquakes and you see how Egon has created this contraption with four proton packs with, with four, what are they? Particle throwers, Steve? Yeah. They, well, yeah, basically the particle throwers, like the, the thing, exactly. but the proton pack, I mean, I just, it's one and the same, basically. I'm just so impressed that you remembered that. <laughs> I just, I, <laughs> <laughs> got me, got me right I got you, Brad. <laughs> so, you know, seeing that whole setup where, again, Egon was very conscious and mindful of the fact of, of you know, not having his other brethren there to be able to um, help him with this. But you still had like the four... Um, proton packs that were in position that were basically keeping this this horrible you know, gates of hell at bay, but you could see how hard it was. And then like, there was that, that really kind of, um, queasy moment where you see the, um, possessed Paul Rudd destroy the, the contraption that, that Egon had put into place. And then, and again, that's, that's a big thumbs up from me because you need to have that, uh Oh, moment in right. a Ghostbusters film. And so then everything comes out, which leads me to, the actress who played Gozer. That was a serious trip down memory lane because to see her come out, I was like, yeah. whoa, this yeah. is pretty cool. I didn't look at it if it was the same actress. I don't know if it was or not. I, I didn't look. look. Yeah, I not look But the whole thing, I mean, like you see it happen and you're like, man, I'm being transported right back to 1984 again. This is insane. And how they even had a history which, by the way, like one of my one of my favorite lines from like the the original Ghostbusters was when um, Bill Murray says "Aim for the flat top," and I love how they <laughs> they they brought that back in this film where where when they had their big reveal moment, you hear him say "Hey, flat top," right? <laughs> I uh, thought that was absolutely fantastic. I don't think yeah, it can't be the same person. This person looks crazy young in this photo from IMDb. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, no, no, it's not the same person. Um, the wonders of makeup effects. But she, this person did play a role in Mass Effect 3. Apparently. Oh. Um, so talking about Gozer, um, I don't know if I was, I'm, I'm torn between like, yay, we saw Gozer again. And like, we already did this once before. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it kind of brings me back to, again, this bridge of, catching up between what has happened before and bringing newcomers in from what was successful in the past. What worked before will bring a new audience this time. That's what I really think because we honestly didn't see you know, like any new ghosts except for the, the one that was biting the on metal the metal muncher. The metal muncher. We didn't see Slimer. 
We didn't see like any, I and mean, we saw like one guy who looked kind of like zombie-ish, you know, in the bar, but like we didn't see really any other ghosts except for the terror dogs and Gozer. Yes, and that that's something that, that I noticed as well was like, I think that, you know, with the whole Gozer thing, I could see it being kind of more of like an ambivalence to me. Um, but I agree with you though. I think that in every Ghostbusters movie, we expect to see uh, a brand new supervillain, if right. you will, right? Like, like whoever, like, like the, the big bad ghost, uh, is, you know, like, like in each film, I think the fans yearn to like be able to be taken on a brand new adventure with some sort of awful entity that has to be dealt with, uh, in some sort of creative manner. Now I will say in terms of what Egon had put together in terms of like this field of traps, like the, like this kind of like, you know, Uber trap. That was awesome. Like that was really, really cool to see all these traps, like come on and everything else. Right. So I think that, that that gets a, you know, a big thumbs up, but I, I do agree in the sense that it's, it's weird because I'm conflicted because on the one hand it was so cool to see Gozer again. And like her updated outfit was just, man, that was, that was awesome. At the same time, though, I'm just like, man, like I, I would do wish that we could have been introduced to some other sort of awful uh, entity into itself. So, yeah, all of the different issues that you're bringing up um, have merit for sure, right. in my opinion. I, I do think that, that they do warrant um, constructive criticism. But at the same time, I don't feel as though those are things that necessarily deprived the movie necessarily. I just think that this, again, I think it has to do with like where your expectation is placed because on the one hand, if you have um, your mindset, like I want to watch a Ghostbusters film that only has Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, so on and so forth, you know, you will have probably a certain level of disappointment. At the same time though, if you accept that, oh, this is in fact um, kind of just like a different chapter within the, the, the Ghostbusters saga, if you will. Then I think that, that suddenly you can kind of get behind it and whatnot. But anyway, let us go to our concluding thoughts and rating of the film. Steve, what'd you, what, what's going on in this melon of yours? Uh, I'm just going to, so I guess I'm going just to read my list to you. Very, you have a list. I have a list of stuff that, that, I, that, that got me in the ghoulies. And stuff that I didn't care for. Did you check it twice? One and a half times. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what I had for, for criticisms, basically. So I, what I wrote down here is I, um, like I said earlier, I didn't really care much for how the mom was written. Mm -hmm. I, I thought I, I did like how it worked out in the end, but um, I just didn't like, like the build up towards that. I thought it could be written a little bit different as well as um, Ray's stance with Egon because if you watch the first two Ghostbusters, those guys were mono y mono. I mean, Vankman, right here. Uh, Vankman was a little bit of the outsider along with Winston because they weren't really into all, like the nerdy science terms, like you know this pole, this pole. Actually, I say science and I talk about a pole. That's great. <laughs> um, but like you know, Egon and Ray were crazy into 
the the the, the spectral, the supernatural, and all all the science you know crazy terms that no one else would ever use. Yeah. Uh, as as well as the occult, as well as the history of it, like they were both really into it, and there wasn't really any secrets a part of the business that they kept from each other. And so to have Ray say, you know, Egon left and you just you know did this whole thing by himself. I think it was fine for the story. I just I just couldn't really roll with it as a fan because I, I I couldn't see it happening between from what you know the movies that we saw before. Because yeah, a long time has passed, but that's what we have to go on is those two movies, right? Um, so anyhow, um, not that it was terrible. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not I'm not saying it was poorly written. I just wanted it to be somewhat different so I could be more on board. Mm-hmm. Um, so another criticism I had was I, I we hardly saw the Ghostbusters. This was a Ghostbusters film. I didn't. I really didn't want it to be the kids taking the role just yet. I wanted to, to see the Ghostbusters and the, the play in more the, of like a proactive role, way more proactive, front and center. We saw you know Ray stands pick up the phone and, and the trailer or the teaser. We're closed. You know, I'm like, I want to see him on screen. I want to see Bill Murray on screen. Yeah. I, you know, and we basically we had a little bit of Ray, but we only had him at the end. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm still glad I saw him. What I did see, I loved. Just you know, I, did, I I did love seeing him on screen. I just wanted him to see more than like ten minutes. Did the theater clap when they came on yes. screen? Yeah, they came on screen. I clapped. Yeah, I did too. I clapped. Yeah. Um. Let's see. So, like I just said, we barely saw any ghost busting. Um. Not much fear. Not much mystery. Not very funny. I mean, it was oh, that's cute, ha ha, kind of thing. But it's not nearly as witty as you know as as the first Ghostbusters. What I liked, and we didn't talk a whole lot about, was the cinematography was freaking awesome. Yes. Oh my gosh, I want to see it again just to see <laughs> Ecto One drive everywhere. Oh man, oh the framing gosh. of those shots. Whoever the the person was in charge <sighs> of the camera, every time you saw the. <laughs> you saw the car just like do like a hairpin turn or whatever oh. and the camera going the opposite direction, man. I mean, it almost looked like the cartoon, you know, like, like when you watch the intro to the real Ghostbusters cartoon from the eighties and they burst out of the firehouse and they did a little like, and they go around the corner and stuff like all of those shots. Uh, if I could just add one more thing, I understand what you're saying because like, for instance, with the seat that, that ejects out of the side of Ecto one, I love how they did that. But the one thing that I just so want to see is I want to see Peter Vankman or Ray stance or Winston Zedmore be sitting in that chair. Like it's one thing to have the kid do it. And and that's cool in its own way because she's experiencing it for the first time and everything else. I want to see a seasoned swagger Ghostbuster and the, yeah, in the, in the seat, chair, right. knowing what they're doing, right? And just that that look on their face. Yes, yeah, just, I'm just, back. Just, just laying the pain on some sort of ghost that's been like you know wreaking havoc and destruction. Right. Like I, I so mm, you have like the Jason Reitman. If you are watching us, this is part of the sweet sauce. Okay, we want to see. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson in those types of situations where they are blasting down the streets of Manhattan or wherever they may go. Maybe they go somewhere else in the country, but they are in Ecto-1. Maybe there's an Ecto-2 or Ecto-3. There is room for other kinds of vehicles as well. But I mean, the thing is, is that the 80s movies are, you know, part of, of the recipe of success for them is the car. It doesn't matter if it's Back to the Future, if it's Ghostbusters, if it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It doesn't matter what it is that that you're looking at. 
I mean, even Star Wars, the Millennium Falcon is arguably like the vehicle that everybody just, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. If you see the Millennium Falcon, all of a sudden come on screen, everybody gets pumped. I just, I would, I would love to see a visual of that. Right. Um, and then pretty much everything else. I mean, the sound, I mean, with the throwing on of the proton back in the theater, oh, with the, with the subwoofers on, I mean, I was pinching my, I was grabbing my wife's hand like, oh, I'm getting so many goosebumps right now. Yes. Oh, that sound. Yes. And she obliterating that, uh, like, I'm going to put a couple cans up yes. and we're going to see what happens. <laughs> and then when she throws out this, you know, uh, and she's like, did I hit it? I'm like, you obliterated the entire thing. Oh my gosh. So, um, anyhow, sounds, music references, um, very well done. Different music, but still harkens old to to the original soundtrack. Um, And of course, you'll see in the old old cast. So, yes, it's, you know, I I have it written down here. I think I said earlier, it seemed more like uh, a story from the cartoon than really a story from, or or, uh, an exact continuation from the movies. Yeah. But that may have been because they, like I said earlier, they were kind of just bridging uh, the two uh, from what may lie ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, I, I, I'm conflicted because the parts that I liked, I loved, but the movie didn't give me everything that I wanted to see. I mean, even in the, in the title screen, I wanted there to be like the song. You know, the whole Ghostbusters scene. I want to be like, yes. Yeah. And I didn't get it to all the way till the end, till the credits. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, fine. You know, <laughs> but uh, I mean, am I on board? Yes. Am I glad I saw it in a the theater? Yes. Um, I mean, this is, I don't, this is not a movie that you want to wait to stream. This is a movie you want to see in the theater. That's for dying sure. Yeah. So um, anyhow, man, I'm just conflicted because part of me, man, I really love how they did a lot of it, but I just wasn't completely on board. I'm going to say, um, I mean, I'm conflicted between a three and a half and a four, but I'm thinking I'm going to go for a four only because they, they got me in the fields. Yeah. I'm going to give it a four. That is totally fair. And for me, so first and foremost, I, I'm so happy about about the the TLC that everybody who was involved with this film gave it because it, there was a, a very clear respect toward nostalgia, toward what makes the world of Ghostbusters so unique and special in the first place. I do share your sentiment in the sense that I w- I wanted to see more of the OG Ghostbusters in this film as opposed to what I was kind of in my gut expecting, which was like they were going to make some sort of grand entrance at the end. I wanted them to have a bit more of a proactive role throughout the film. Having said that, though, I do love the casting choices of the kids in this. I think that they have a very bright future in terms of what other kinds of films they end up doing. I hope that they make additional Ghostbusters sequels with them. And I do think that there there is a lot to be said in terms of examining what it is to be a Ghostbuster, right? Like like there there is a, a very specific kind of formula, like I mentioned earlier, that is if if you if you don't adhere to that, it's gonna fail. And I think that they were able to nail that in so many different ways. There are a lot of fun scenes in there. I love the mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Men. We didn't even talk about that, about like going through Walmart and like 
it was like this dark humor of like watching them kind of like destroy each other, whether it was in like a blender or they turned on the, the barbecue or <laughs> like, what is happening? Um, and I can't say enough about how I loved in terms of like, you know, be having more of a proactive role. Egon was the one who did, despite the fact that um, Harold Ramis is no longer with us. The fact that they, they were very conscious about involving him and involving that character in there, I thought was a brilliant move. I do hoping, you know, moving, going forward from here, I'm with you. I really want there to be more involvement with it. I hope we get to see more of Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson. We'll just have to see what happens. And they leave it open at the end. I mean, right. Ernie buys back the firehouse. He has Ecto-1. He's going to fix Ecto-1 up. It's going to be interesting to see, like, how they move forward from there. Um, and so for me, I mean, I, I think I, too, will give it four stars. I highly recommend this film. I, like I mentioned earlier, I cried at the end. My wife cried at the end. They were, they were like, just sentimental, happy tears. Um, and again... It wasn't a perfect movie, but there was a lot that they did right. And I applaud them for taking that creative risk and pushing forward with this. I think you're going to have a good time. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thanks, Hank, for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to our podcasts. Not to mention it financially helps us do this show. Also, make sure you slime that subscribe button and uh, cross the streams on that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm, which drops once a week every week. And while you're at it, do a search on social media for at Joygasm TV. We're on all of them. Last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We look forward to hanging out with all of you again next week.